It's the Christian life story. And I love that. It's a prophetic word when you speak it over your life. You know, um, it means a lot to me. I read it a lot because I'm kind of in that field of work. But when I was reading it this time, I, I just read the psalm over and over. And then I thought, I'm going to read before and I'm going to read after it because I really want to grasp. It's so deep that you can't just grasp it by reading it just reading mere words. You have to really absorb it. And as I was reading, I thought, I'm going to look at Psalm 22 and see what it says. And the first verse I read was amazing. It kind of, it pierced my heart. And, and that verse said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it was Jesus in Psalm 22 speaking. And then Psalm 23 came. And so, so, the lamb that was slain in Psalm 22 is the shepherd of the flock in Psalm 23. It's so beautiful. It's, so, it's, it's, it's just a picture. You know, I like to look back and see the whole picture. And then we're talking tonight about, you know, we're talking about dwelling in the house of God. And it's, it's amazing that Psalm 24, at the end of that in verse 9, it says... It's amazing. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. It's the presence of God coming in, which is what we're talking about today. It's just amazing. You know, when you want to read about God, how he just puts things into perspective for us. You know, when we're looking for him, we will find him. It's amazing. And scholars say that this psalm was written in the later years of, of David's life after he had lived in all those places, after he'd lived in the shadow of death and after he'd walked through the green pastures and it just summarised his whole life. Yet we can take it on and speak of it prophetically in our own lives. And as we come to the conclusion of this psalm, you know, I'm kind of sad because I've so enjoyed this whole series, you know. <laughs> I just, you know, I work in, in aged care and so when I visit clients, sometimes they're alive but they're talking to me about their death, about their funeral and they'll, they'll sort of say to me, can you do my funeral? And I take lots of funerals, it's my job, part of my role. And so I say yes and a lot of these people don't believe in the Lord and it's amazing how many of them say to me, oh, would you please read Psalm 23 at my funeral? And yet they don't believe in God, it's amazing. You know, they might have heard it in Sunday school, but they've not walked the walk with God. Yet they'll say to me, please read Psalm 23 for me at my funeral. And so it's kind of turned into this psalm for death, but it's very much a life psalm. Yeah. It's not a death psalm. It's, a, it's something for our life that we can take on in our own lives. You know, the psalmist, he just makes statements throughout this scripture about this life with the shepherd. And it brings peace. And I think that's why people like it to be read, because it actually brings peace. But we need to learn that psalm right now and get that right now, not towards the end of our life, but right now at the beginning of our life. When we're right in life, that's when we bring life into our own lives, in our, into our own hearts. And the way David writes this psalm, I mean, it's amazing. He starts off with, the Lord is my shepherd. He's sort of talking as if he's talking to himself, you know, and he starts convincing himself about it. So he's talking to himself, kind of thinking about it. There's, there's not really an audience. It doesn't say, but, but he's probably sitting there meditating on, on who God is to him. And he goes on and all of a sudden he says, you anoint my head with oil. So he's talking to his, himself, but all, all of a sudden he starts saying, you anoint my head with oil. You, you, you. And so it's as if God was there the whole time. 
So we need to know that God is with us the whole time. We're dwelling in the presence of the Lord. You know, and I believe every statement that that psalm says. I believe it for my life. I believe it for your life. I believe it for my children's life. Because I believe what the, sta- what the, what the psalm is saying and what David's saying is, if I shall not want, if he makes me to lie down, if he leads me, if you are with me, if you prepare a table, if you anoint my head with, or if my cup runs over, then of course, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. If he's going to do all those things, then goodness and mercy will surely follow me all the days of my life. And if he does all those things, I'm going to be in his house. I'm going to live with him forever and ever and ever. Gosh, I'm reading without my glasses. Wow. I just realized. I think the font is like 27. <laughs> the, the message version is actually amazing. I was, I was reading the, about the word follow. So it says, um, you sh- goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I read up kind of about the word follow. And the word follow in that context doesn't really mean that he's actually following, like he's never, ever going to catch up. The word follow actually means to pursue. You know, it, the message says, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. So follow and pursue actually means something a little bit different. So we need to understand what he's saying there. And if I could explain this, it's like if I was driving in a car or, or driving behind a car, I would always make sure there's about two car lengths away from me in the other car because I wouldn't want to really get too close to the car. Of course, that rule does not apply to my husband who drives two feet away from the car. But nevertheless, <laughs> I like to stay a fair distance because I don't want to hit that car. I just want to follow the car. I just follow the traffic. I don't, I don't, you know. But this is not the same. This is like me driving 60 kilometres an hour and goodness and mercy are driving 100 kilometres an hour and they're going to catch up with me and they're going to hit me right there when I need them. You know, that's how, that's how that verse sounds in, in perspective. You know, if I change lanes, it's going to change. That goodness and mercy are going to change lanes as well. Whatever happens, they are right there tailgating me. And they are going to catch, you know when you watch the news, who watches the news? I always watch Channel 9 News every day. The kids cannot speak when the news is on. Is anyone like that? Have you ever heard of the police pursuits that go on? And if you watch the aerial views where they've got the chopper up there and you can see the police chasing and, and then they catch them and so there's someone in front of them stopping them and they finally get on top of them. That's how it is. That's how goodness and mercy is. It catches up with you. It hits you. It doesn't just follow you where it's never going to find you. It is going to touch your life. It is going to touch your life. So goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. The shepherd is watching out for me. Good things are definitely going to happen to me. If he's doing all those other things, if, it's going to catch up with me. And I want to tell you a bit of a story. It's probably a sad story um, because every time I think about it, I feel like I want to weep. Yet God has turned goodness out of something that I thought in my life was really sad. So I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death probably lots of times. But the first time I remember walking through the valley of the shadow of death was when I was 12 years old. And I was a 12-year-old girl. I'm one of five daughters. So pray to Jesus. Thank God for girls. But don't pray for five of them. It's very expensive. (laughs) So I was the first of five. (laughs) hey but you got (laughs) Dylan go Dylan (laughs) 
goodness and mercy and start saving. <laughs> anyway, so, so I was the eldest. So between me and my next sister, there was probably two and a bit years. But the rest of them came pretty quickly. Every year there was a kid on the way, you know, because this boy was coming. You know, but every time it would be a girl. So there was me and four other little girls. And when I was 12 years old, my mum was about, actually, my mum and dad, my parents are here, my mother-in-law's here. <laughs> so gorgeous to have a fan club following. <laughs> um, so, so when I was 12 years old, my mother was about 43 and she fell pregnant. After having five daughters, she fell pregnant. And I didn't know the Lord at the time as I know him now, but I knew Jesus and I prayed on my hands and knees all the time about this baby coming. I was so excited. It was as if it was my baby, although I, I love babies. I must have had this from when I was born. So I just was so excited about this baby coming. And, you know, I prayed for this baby. I knitted, I kind of crocheted little matinee jackets for this baby. I uh, embroidered this white towel with baby in blue in hope that it would be a boy. And I just, I did all these mum things. I don't know what was wrong with me. It just was me. I just love babies. And so I was so excited about this baby coming. And then towards the end of mum's pregnancy, she was probably around 39 weeks, something like that. Um, she went to the doctor. You know how you go one week? You know, when your time comes, you go every week instead of every month. And the doctor said, oh, look, there's something wrong. We cannot hear a heartbeat. And so she was rushed off to hospital. And, and uh, mum had to give birth to this baby, but the baby was not alive. And for me as a 12-year-old girl, I was devastated. And I remember my father coming back and saying to me, your mum has to have the baby, but the baby's not going to be alive. And in those days, mum had to endure that on her own. You know, they didn't allow the husbands in. It was just one of those things. And she had to deliver the baby naturally. And so I was at home with my grandma and my sisters, and my dad was kind of doing what he, what he had to do. And, you know, that baby was born, and it was a boy. And the baby was not alive. And so I was devastated. I remember sitting in my bedroom on the floor with my head to the ground saying, what kind of God would do this? How can this happen? I couldn't understand it in my little brain that something, I, I even remember thinking, I, I wouldn't have cared so much if it was a girl, six girls. I mean, you know, it's just what I was thinking. I was trying to make, make, think about it logically and it didn't make any sense. So here I was, this broken, broken girl, because that was kind of my dream. As much as it was mum's baby, it was my dream for my dad to have this son because, he, you know, in our culture, you've got to have a boy to carry on the name and all that sort of thing. And it hit me hard, and I carried that. And I didn't realise how much it affected me, but it never left me for many, many years. And I grew up, and I got married. And, and then I started to struggle to have babies, and I think I've spoken about that before. But finally... After seven years, I had a son. And I thank God for Brad and, and for that son. But in our tradition, you can't call your child uh, your first son after the wife. You, you have to put the husband first. And I wanted to honour that because Mick's dad had passed away as well. So that was really sad and it had to be done and we did what we had to do. But in my heart, there was something that was yearning because I wanted a son for my father. And it was such a silly thing. I put that on myself. It was, you know, my dad sort of never said anything. But it was always in my heart that I wanted a son for my father. And it grieved me as, you know, I remember from when I was 12 years old. And then I had my beautiful princess, you know, my little girl. And thank God she's so precious because she's so rare. You know, one daughter and two sons. So I loved my daughter and, and I thought my family was complete. But God had not finished with me yet. 
God had not finished with me yet. One day, and I had a lot of trouble having babies, so I thought that was it. I didn't think it was going to be any more than that. One day, Mickey was about four years old, and we were sitting down at the dinner table, and we were praying for the food. And, you know, we used to get the kids to practice that. So we'd say, Brad, you, you know, you pray. And he was probably about three or four. I can't really remember. And he prayed and he said, Lord Jesus, thank you for my baby brother in my mummy's tummy called Mickey. And it was like, oh, my goodness. I thought, is that prophetic? Or I didn't know if it was God. Or, and I thought, okay, well, that's great, honey. And Mick said, is there something I don't know? I said, I said no. There is nothing. I don't know anything. I, don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know. And so that's, you know, long story short, then Mickey was born. And he was the gift, you know, the gift that a little 12-year-old girl, about 20 years later, God remembered me. 20 years that I kept that in my heart. I remembered the pain of that, that God would remember that 12-year-old girl. His goodness collided with me at that point. His goodness found me 20 years later. And I remember Mick saying to me that you, just when he was delivered and he was born, and I, I actually double-checked that it was a boy because I thought, oh, you know, it was kind of a miracle prophetic prophesied by, by a four-year-old. And then Mick said, you need to call your father and tell him that Michael Jacob is born. And my father's name is Michael Jacob. So God remembered after 20 years, his goodness collided with me. It followed me, but it hit me. And he never forgot what happened all those years before. That's God's goodness in my life. God's goodness in my life. And I share that story, not with sorrow, but so it's a testimony to God. It's, it's glory to God, what he's done in my life, that through the shadows, the valley of the shadows of death, that God's goodness touched me and touched my life, and touched my parents' life. There's a couple of photos I just want to show you when he was a baby, how much joy he brought. Isn't he gorgeous? <laughs> that was God's goodness. That was God's beautiful goodness. That was God's goodness. Because our God is a good God. Because goodness is going to collide with you. Goodness is going to catch up with you. Is Jesus your shepherd? Do you know him? Verse 6. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the message says, I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. I love that. Back home. Because we, we belong. We were born through Adam to be in the presence of God. He was there in the garden with us. That's where it, how it was meant to be. And then now he's saying that he is going to be there forever. Forever. Imagine that, living in, with God, his presence continually with us. And you know, the house of God is not confined to a building. It's not limited to a group of people, although he's definitely here right now. He's not in a faraway place where you can't touch him or feel him or feel his presence. You know, he's, he's right here right now. And, and when David wrote this psalm, actually, there was no temple at that time. The, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was in a tent at that time. But if anybody's thinking, does that mean I don't have to go to church? That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. The house of God 
Okay, is, was anyone here this morning? Okay, if I can just give you an analogy, we each have a little light in us. That's the presence of God dwelling in this temple. But when we come together, like this morning, there was a bonfire. There was a bonfire this morning in the presence of God. The fire was so strong. The presence of God was so strong. And we need to be in that place forever. We need to dwell, live, survive, breathe, eat, drink in that place. We need to live there. The Amplified Bible says, Surely or only goodness, mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of my days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. You know, Mick and I found the, house of the, the presence of God right here in this house. It wasn't even in this building because the, the presence of God is carried in us. It's not just the building. You know, it's when we get together, when there's no one in this building, you know, you can hardly say there's going to be a revival. But it's when we come in and we bring the presence of God and we share together and we, and we, we unite together, that's the presence of God. And Mick and I, when, we, when our kids were really little, we were really mindful of the presence of God being in their lives. And so we pursued to find a church where we could feel the fire and the presence of God. And this is where we came. And it wasn't here. It was down near the river in a leaky old building. And the presence of God was so strong. And I was like a mother hen. I just wanted to wrap my kids up in that presence and hold them in the house of God. Because in the house of God, the purposes and the plans that God has for my kids are going to come to pass. They're going to come to pass in the house of God. When I was in the house of God, when I was pregnant, God breathed in my ear, teach your children music. And I did that because I was in the house of God. I was in his presence. And, and they're, they're living out their calling in the house of God. I'll tell you a story about Brad. And I guess stories are great because I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened in my life, in Brad's life. And recently, recently Brad got invited to go and do a spoken word um, at C3 Newcastle. Now, I don't know anyone in that church, I don't know the pastors, you know, who knew anything. We just said, God bless you, and off you go. And he went out there, and he did his spoken word, and, and he blessed them. It was on Easter Sunday. He blessed the congregation there, and he did what God had gifted him to do. And after he finished, he came down, and this older lady, you know, she's probably in her 70s, came up to him and said to him, Brad, is Mix about your son, or your father? And he said, yes. Sorry, guys, yeah, I'm getting a bit mixed up with all this sun business. So he, he said, is mix about your, she said, is mix about your father? And he said, yes. She said, I know you. And he kind of looked at her. He didn't know what she was saying. She said to him, I was your Sunday school teacher when you were three years old, when, you, when we used to go to the same church and you used to always be holding your sister's hand and she would be upset and you would be comforting her. And I used to teach you about Jesus. And she said, I cannot believe what, what my sewing has done in your life. I'm so overwhelmed. Do you remember me? He said, no, I don't remember you. <laughs> but, you know, a couple of months later, we received this letter in, in um, actually here in the mail of the church because she didn't know our address. She'd gone to Newcastle. Her husband had died and things had changed. It was 20-something, 18 years later. And she remembered him 18 years later. She saw him in the house of God and remembered him. It's amazing what happens to you when you're in the house of God. And she sent this card and she said, 
Dear Pastors Mick and Rhonda, I don't know if you remember me, my name is such and such, and I saw your son Brad, and I used to teach him in Sunday school in whatever year it was, 19-something, and then she said, God put it on my heart that I should pay for him to do a trip to Israel. And so there was this great blessing. I would never send my Arab kid to Israel. I would be a maniac to ever pay for him to go to Israel. I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, is this from you or is this from the devil? I don't know what to think. So I was like shaking and I was on the floor praying and fasting and thinking, is, what will I say? What will I do? You know, my little Arab boy is going to go there and they're going to interrogate him. They're going to think he's a spy, a terrorist. I don't know. He looks like a terrorist. I didn't know what to think. So I was a bit paranoid. I even got rid of his old passport because he'd been to Lebanon the year before and I got him a new passport because I didn't want anyone to know. So anyhow, when I finally came to terms with it, <laughs> and you know, I've got a photo up there of his experience. God took him to where his presence can be found, not in that place so much, but in the group of people that he was with. He found the presence of God. Look at those beautiful photos. I would never have paid for him to go there in a million years. And look how God does it. He knew what Brad needed. He knew I wasn't going to listen. This little Arab mama was not going to listen. But God, you know, in his glory, his goodness, in the house of God, in the house of God, these fantastic things happen. You know, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Just remain in the house of God. Just be found in the house of God because that's the place where God is going to put you, you where you need to be. He's going to move you where you need to go. You know, he's just an amazing God. And I want to read with you a story about a lame prince. And if I was going to name this story, I would call it Find Your Feet. It's a, it's a story that I, when I was reading and I just saw the analogy between Psalm 23 and this, this particular story. I'm going to start reading from 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So it goes to say, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. I just want to continue the story. Now David said... Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Meshid, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Meshid, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba. 
Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Misha, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I love that story. I think that story is kind of like me before. I was kind of lame. I kind of didn't know that I was the daughter of a king. I didn't know that I, where I belonged. I didn't know that I could dwell with the king and eat, I, that he will prepare a table for me. I didn't know all of that. So it kind of tells a story about maybe your life too, but that was my life. I thought I knew, but I didn't. I didn't know how to get out of what kind of life that I had until I knew the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? Where do you live? You know, we, like Mephibosheth, are separated from our father. We can be lame, stripped of our title or our inheritance. You know, Jesus the shepherd says we are kings and a royal priesthood. We heard that this morning, 1 Peter 2.9. Restored into the place with God our father, dwelling and living with him forever. We have to grasp that so that we know. Or are we still lame? We need to find our feet. You know, Jesus restored our souls, our inheritance, our place. He pursued us with goodness and mercy. You know, he had rested us, fed us, watered us, sustained us, walked in the shadow with us, rescued us and lived with us and brought us into his presence forever. For Mephibosheth, you know, he could have written that psalm. When David pursued him, that was the shepherd. When David said, to whom shall I show kindness of God? You know, that was the shepherd. You know, the Lord laid him down in green pastures when David said to Ziba, bring in the harvest for Mephibosheth. The Lord restored his position when he placed him in the, at the table of the king. The Lord restored all his inheritance when that land came back to him. No more shall he fear evil. He will always eat at the table of the king. And I think that's what God wants to do for us. That's what the Lord wants to do for you and for me. Sometimes we don't really know how valuable we are to God. And maybe sometimes that's what keeps us from dwelling in the house of God. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know him? I want to challenge you. Are we visiting this evening? Do we visit or do we live? Do we dwell? You know, I can't help but think about visiting. You know, if, if his presence is living in us, and he's pursuing us. Are we, are we living in that or are we just pop-ups? I don't know if anyone's been to Parramatta lately. There's a pop-up restaurant. It pops up from a container, a shipping container. You know, it's a restaurant, so they put the shipping container out in the middle of the mall out at Parramatta outside of St. John's Anglican Church, I think it is. You know, and there's this shipping container. It's called a pop-up restaurant. Are we pop-ups? 
Do we pop in every now and then? Or do we live? Are we made out of bricks and mortar or are we a shipping container ready to get put back on the semi-trailer and moved off to the next place? Where do we live? I don't know about you guys, but my family, as long as I can speak into their lives and they're listening, well, we're supposed to be 21, but it's not going to be, Brad. We're lebs. (laughs) As long as I have breath in my body, I want to keep my kids planted They're going to be made out of solid stone. They're not going to be made out of a shipping container and be popping in and out. But they're going to stand strong in the house of God. Are you immovable? Are you unshakable? Do you know your purpose? Have you found your feet? I want to ask you those those questions. Where do you stand? Do you stand on the rock? Well, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, We will be found in here with the Lord. Do you know him? I just want to ask, do you know this shepherd of the flock? So if we just bow our heads, I just want to, I just want to follow that. I just want to say, do you know Jesus? Are you dwelling in his house? Did you ever know him? Maybe you knew him and, and you kind of popped in and popped out again. I just want to, give you that invitation right now if you don't know Jesus or if you haven't had a life with the shepherd if you actually went to church but you you've not got that relationship with him you really want to be made out of blocks of stone that will not be moved I want to ask you do you know him if you don't know Jesus and if you if you really want him to come into your life if you really want to know the shepherd I just want to ask you to to just raise your hand I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I've just got to give that invitation. You know, is there anyone that does not know God, does not live in the house of God? I just want to ask. I'll just give it another minute. I just want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Anyone at all. Thank you, Lord. I also want to pray for people. If you just look to the front. I want to pray for anyone that has been through the valley of the shadow of death. I want to pray for anyone that wants mercy. I want to pray for anyone who has who can't forgive themselves for something. Anyone at all. I'm just going to ask people, if you just stand with me, if anybody wants prayer, I'd really like you to come up the front. I really think we need to be prayed for. We need to know that goodness and mercy is going to catch us. That there is mercy when you need mercy. There is goodness when you need goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, into worship and this is an invitation that you know is a really broad net but there's things in your life you do want Ronda to pray for I know for many of us there would be seasons where we've done it tough and it feels like we're going through that valley come out of your seat maybe you're here and you 
you're just feeling like you're waiting for that goodness to catch up and collide with you and you're, you're struggling in the wait zone. I mean, some of the stories Rhonda said tonight, there's like, there's 20 years of wait, maybe in one of those wait zones and you just need God to come and, and just help you, believing that it's coming. As we sing this song right now, this song, I want to invite us to come out of your seat. This is a great opportunity to just to receive prayer. So as we sing right now, boldly come out of your seat. Come and stand on this altar and allow Rhonda to come and, and the team to pray for you and enable God to touch you where you are here tonight. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the dark. 